Hello and welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast. We'd like to welcome you back in this new year as we prepare for episode 108. I'd like to echo Jared's sentiment in the last post and just say thank you again for your time. We know that you each have different ways that you could spend your time and you've chosen to spend it with us and we want to let you know that we are grateful and that we really appreciate you. Christopher is unable to be here this evening, but both Jared and I are here and we're going to traverse through this episode together. But before we get into the major content of the episode, we just want to give you a frame of what the next several weeks are going to look like. We had teased that in a Facebook post. So next week on January 15th, Ben Soto will join us to discuss a new kid sermon journal that he's been working on and he's finally launched. We're going to discuss with him kind of what motive, what motivated him to put this together, why his kids use it, what benefit that could come from your kids using it as well. We're really excited for that. That's a really cool project and um, I believe that it'll be a blessing to many families. After we have Ben Soto on, then... January 22nd, we are going to start a new series in the Psalms. Elise Fleming is going to join us. She's been on the podcast before. She's going to rejoin us and give us an introduction to what this series is going to look like. Some of the brother cousins got wind that she had a study about using the Psalms in a very practical manner. And we were really excited to hear that. As we mentioned, you know, several of us really nerd out on the Psalms. And so what we'll do is we'll let her provide that study for us, and then each of us will select a favorite psalm and really discuss that in detail. And that those discussions are actually going to link really well to what we are going to be discussing this evening. And our plan for today's episode is that we wanted to utilize this time of year that people are already reflecting on the previous year and are motivated to make some changes. We wanted to encourage people to consider a shift of mindset that will change your day-to-day actions in a way that is going to be really God-honoring. And the mindset that we're going to be talking about is seen in the Psalms and the psalmist often, and we think that it's going to be really beneficial. So the psalmist speaks about praising God, about worshiping God, exalting Him, magnifying Him, and so on. And we see this throughout several psalms, but we're going to be looking at one in particular, and that's Psalm 34, that I think will provide a really good outline for us to discuss what some of these words mean. And we know that Jared really likes words. We're going to dig into some of what the distinctions are, and understanding those distinctions are going to help us start taking some steps to change our mindset and the way that we think and live more like what the psalmist writes. So let's dig in to Psalm 34. So Psalm 34 and verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And whenever you read passages that start out like this, you would normally think that the person who's saying that, everyone's going really well in their life, that they're on that that high mountain they everything's good and that they want to praise God continually. But the writer of this psalm actually wrote this when things weren't 
going all that well. In fact, as the psalm is introduced, it says that the psalm is written by David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So if you're unfamiliar with that time span of David's life, this psalm was written in a difficult and probably very humiliating time of David's life. He had been running from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. He came to the priest, Ahimelech, with nothing. Um, He was asking for resources, and really the only thing that Ahimelech had to give David was the sword of Goliath, and he thought David should have it since he was the one who had actually killed Goliath. As he was there with the priest, an informant told Saul where David was, and so he had to flee. And this time, David not only left the general vicinity of King Saul, but he actually left the territory of Israel and went to Achish, the king of the Philistines. And he was there in Gath. Now, interestingly enough, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And so that's what makes the fact that the priest gave David this sword so interesting. It's because now he's going to walk into the hometown of Goliath carrying a sword that, whenever you read the narrative, was a sword that was very recognizable. I don't know if it's because it was a large sword because he was very large because he was a giant, or if it was very ornate, whatever it was, people would have been able to recognize it. And now David is walking into the hometown of Goliath carrying this sword, and so people would already be whispering. But then his reputation also followed him. You know, people sang songs about David that, He killed his ten thousands where Saul had only killed his thousands, which is part of the reason David was having to flee from Saul because of Saul's jealousy. But people started thinking about that song and quoting that song here about around Achish the king. And he started getting a little bit nervous, wondering why David was there. And... Fearing that Achish would see David as a threat, David started acting like he was completely insane. He started scribbling on the city gate. He drooled in his beard. And Achish fell for this acting and thought that David was just a crazy guy. And he was like, I've already got enough crazy people in my city. This is just another one. And he just kind of dismissed him. And what we see is that this deception helped David escape. But what we also see is that dishonored God in front of these pagan people. Now, what's interesting about Psalm 34 is that David actually praises God for his deliverance, and he denounces deception. And so it seems as though this is a bit contradictory. So what exactly is going on here? It seems that David is reflecting back on the fact that he was able to escape from death, and in spite of his failure to honor God, in spite of him take, trying to take things into his own hands, God was still graceful and gave him deliverance. And, you know, I, I feel like that that happens a lot in our lives, Jared, you know, where we may pray to God to help us, but then we try to take things into our own hands. And I think it points to the fact that we as humans aren't always the most pure of motive, especially in our actions. And I think that David is just reflecting back on, I wish that I would have done something different here. Yeah, there's, and this speaks to some stuff that I'd I'd love for us to break down and study later on. 
some stuff that I've really been kind of fleshing out in my personal studies. What David was demonstrating here was a, a lack of faithfulness to God, a lack of faith. Uh, inter interestingly enough, I was reviewing Hebrews 3 for some unrelated stuff, and as you get to the end where God talks about those who fell, he specifically talks about those who fell in their unbelief. And the word there is from epistos, which is a, the negative, pistos, faith, or their faithlessness. And we see that a lot as a theme in the Old Testament, faithlessness. And what we see in David here in this psalm in particular is a reflection upon a time in his life when his faith was not what it should have been. And, and I think you're right. I think he is reminding himself and those who would read later about the faithfulness of God and, and how God blesses acceptable sacrifice and, and rewards those who follow him. And not always necessarily in the way that we would like to see, but always in a way that glorifies who he is and is good in the greater scheme of things. That doesn't necessarily fit what David's talking about here because David spe specifically says, well, just uh, hit some of these early verses. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And then he wraps this psalm up with, the Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so we have... And, and this will be stuff we talk about as we get into the Psalms, but we have this proclamation, this extolling of the righteous judge of God, and how the, a lot of the Psalms look to God as the righteous judge, that their justice would be found through and in him. And David, I mean, we don't read it in the accounts, but there was some justice that would have been, people would have been naturally seeking in Saul unjustly seeking his life. All David had done was serve him. David didn't ask to be ordained as the next king. He didn't ask for the kingdom to be turned over or to be taken away from Saul. He, he was just following the course that was laid out for him and, and tried to do so faithfully. And I think this is a really neat opportunity to look at an instance where he wasn't as faithful as he needed to be in the reflections of a man's heart that truly desires to seek God. Yeah, and you know, as you get into the middle section of this psalm, actually, right around verse 11, he actually says, I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. And as you look through that text, you're, you see that fearing the Lord is not defined as an emotional response, but rather as obedience which flows from an attitude of reference. And in fact, if you dig into that term fear, it can be translated to the word revere or reverence. And it's that reverence that motivates the obedience. And so reverence and obedience have to be kept together. We can't say that we revere God and then don't do what he says, which is why this text seems a bit problematic whenever you compare it to the narrative, because he then talks about like the three things that we should avoid is 
We should keep our tongues from evil. We need to keep our our lips from speaking deceit, that we need to turn away from evil, but rather we need to do good. We need to seek peace. We need to pursue peace. And so the things that it's like he didn't do whenever he had his opportunity with Achish. And so it, to me, this is a psalm that's very similar to that of Psalm 51, where once it is brought to him, his sin with Bathsheba, he is contrite and he pours his heart out to God in a lesson that he has learned and I believe this one he wants to teach other people don't be like I was there but now have the frame of mind that I have here and I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord there's so many of these types of psalms psalms 38 is another where David is just pouring himself out for the review of other people and his failures. And we see, and, and I think what we're, we're wanting to drive at here is the heart of a man who truly wanted to know who God was and follow him and want others to do the same. And, and in this, we kind of get the, the thrust of our desiring to talk about this passage. The reason he's laying himself out for examination by other people is this that we find in verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And, and thus in one passage, in one verse of a poem, David has completely condemned himself and magnified or glorified God in, in one breath, as it were. And that, again, it, it's if you look kind of with the question of why would he do that? It's because he wanted others to know just how much they could rely on God, just how faithful God is. And so much contained in, in one passage here. But with that, as David is leading up to this taste and see, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul makes its boasting God. Exalt the Lord with me and exalt his name. Um, let me hit some King James here because I love the word. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. And in Jeffrey's notes that he has on this passage, he, he does some breaking down on these and I'll toss to him to see if he wants to hit a particular order on those. Or Well, whenever I broke it down originally... Um... I, I went from the words that would be most common to us and that we would have the best understanding to maybe the ones that might be a little bit more difficult to understand and really, really put into a, a, a streamlined thought process. Now, I will say that with this psalm, and, and Jared jumped to verse 8, and that, that is a, a verse that if you've been around the religious world at all, you've heard the phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you know, I love the fact that David is inviting people to not just listen to the words he's saying, but experience God. He has experienced God. Experience that goodness and, and taste and see how sweet that is because it's a sweetness that continues to build and get sweeter and sweeter as the years go by rather than we just get tired of it like a food that we once liked but we ate it every day and we just kind of lost the taste for it because 
it wasn't special and it wasn't good anymore. But God's goodness is not like that. And and what the reason that I started studying this psalm is actually there's a song that I was able to to hear at a congregation, and it's called Psalm 34. And there's a couple of different versions on YouTube. It was actually one of the the people who answered our some of our polls over the last few weeks whenever we were covering, covering some of the songs that we really enjoy, talked about Psalm 34, that song. I would encourage you to go listen to it. It's a very powerful song. It's a very moving song. Um, and it led me to start studying this. And I, I think that this psalm has just been very beneficial. And I hope that our studies will be a blessing to you as well. Well, let's dig into what some of these words mean. So as we look at verses 1 through 3, it talks about this idea of praise. And this word is pretty familiar to us. We often use the word praise as we refer to singing praises to God. And in one sense, the word and actions associated with it proclaims the very fact that God is praiseworthy, that our heart is gripped with a sense of awe, and we therefore sing with delight about what is praiseworthy about God. And so our lips declare what our heart delights in. And all of our praise will come from a heart that truly delights in God, which means we've enjoyed the blessings of God and really gotten to experience the blessings of God. Because it's one thing to approach this from a theoretical point of view. It's a whole other thing to be able to truly experience the goodness of God and see that in your life. And that will lead you to praise. And the psalmist does that many times over as you read through the Psalms. It's, it's a constant because of God's mercy, because of His forgiveness, because of His grace, because of His deliverance, because of His protection, because of who He is, I want to praise Him. Yeah, and that's, you know, we, we read passages a lot Colossians 3, um, Ephesians 5, where it talks about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It's interesting, Ephesians 5 actually says, Do not be filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there's a natural flow there that we see in the psalms over and over and over again. And we see David actually call that out specifically in the Psalms, that his life is so full of who God is and what comes from him and his mercy and his love and his just judgment that he is forced, is, is a negative connotation that we would carry in there, but compelled. He is compelled to sing or to tell God's praises, to, to just tell the truth of who God is. And this is something that we see in our own lives and, and probably the way that I would relate back to it because I'm, I'm very food motivated, I love food, um, is if I went to a restaurant and it was just phenomenal. Great service, the food was wonderful, and it was well priced. I'm going to tell everybody that I come in contact with, contact with, number one, about the meal that I had, and number two, where this place is, and, and encourage them to go try it. You got to go try this. You got to, because I enjoyed something. I, I took something that was fantastic and is available to you also. And we see David 
actually take this food idea, taste and see, and encourage other people to, this is something that you can have in your life that you can experience as well. You don't have to take my word for it for those that are old, as old as I am and, and know the reading rainbow. Um, but we see that throughout the Psalms and, and David just flat calls it out here. Go taste and see who, who God is because if you do this, you'll want to be a part of it too. And this is a concept, you know, we've talked about that Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament. And we do a disservice to ourselves by not knowing the Psalms well enough because Jesus and the writers of the New Testament obviously loved this, these scriptures. And they, they referred to them a lot. They talked about them a lot. And this concept is, is actually talked about as well in that if you have tasted of who God is and turned away from it, there's no hope for you. And I don't, to your food analogy, you know, when I was at East Central back years and years ago, I had a buddy that he and I went to McDonald's every night. And I, after that, I could not eat McDonald's for like 10 years. I, I just, and I loved it then, but as soon as I quit, I was like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Now, McDonald's is a very low end of that, but that brings us to some things and some ideas. So in a compare and contrast with David trusting in himself, he had to present himself as crazy and, and try and finagle and, and be dishonest about who he was to stay under the protection of the city and contrast that with just being honest that he's fleeing from a king, that he is the next anointed king of Israel, and trusting in God to see him through that situation. We have that so I could eat McDonald's, or I could, number one, go to the store and buy food and cook for myself, or find food that was actually filling and good for me, and, and so forth. But David did the one, and he's turned from it now, and, and is doing the other, and extolling or exalting the praise of, of God here. And that's, so since you brought the, the term exalt into this, he doesn't refer to that until verse 3, but I think that that's probably one of the next most common words in this. So, we shall praise shall continually be in my mouth, or his praise shall continually be in my mouth. But then in verse 3, he says, let us exalt his name together. And exalt means to lift something up or to elevate something. And, and that's what we see David wanting to do in the psalm is he wants to lift up the name of God. We want the name of God to be so high, so elevated, that all who hear know that he is truly the name above every name. And it's a similar concept to like whenever we pray, hallowed be your name. Because we want His name to be regarded as high, as holy, as separated supremely above all others. And that's what David wanted to do. He wanted to exalt the name of God above all others. And he wanted people to enjoy that with him and be able to do that with him. But what's interesting to me about this is that he wanted all these... He wanted God's name to be exalted even above his own name. Because think about this. People sang songs about David and his ten thousands. But David sang songs and inv invited others to stop singing the song about him, but rather, come join me in singing a song exalting the name of the Lord. And I love that 
magnify the Lord with me. Let's let us exalt his name together. He could do it, but he wanted others to do it. Yeah. He knew that it was proper and right for others to do it. And I love the definition of exalt, to actively to raise up. It's it's not a passive thing. It's not if it comes up, it was active raising of who God is. And I think when you look at the contrast of this anointed future king of Israel bearing the sword of his, bearing the trophy of his greatest triumph versus the reason for that triumph, the protection that God offered, and the fact that God is the one that won that battle. It's, it's amazing. David's, you know, deny my celebrity status here. Exalt God with me. Yeah. So you brought up magnify. Um, that's also in verse 3. So magnify means to bring who God is into focus so that he is rightly seen and savored. So as I was looking into the meaning of magnify and really trying to grasp this concept, I came across a quote that I believe illustrates the meaning really well, because whenever we think about magnify, I think a lot of the times we think of a magnifying glass where we may grab this magnifying glass and we may look at it, you know, look at bugs and make them bigger to us so that we can see the details better. I don't believe that that's what the Hebrew term of magnify really means. In fact, I think it's, it's slightly different. And this quote, I believe, captured it well. It said, we don't make God appear bigger like a microscope or a magnifying glass, but rather we bring God into focus so that he more looks more like he really is, like a telescope. With a microscope, we take something small and make it deceptively bigger to study it more. We take something that appears deceptively small and bring it into focus to where it looks more like it really is whenever you use a telescope. So think about the idea of like a planet. Whenever you look through a telescope, you're not making a small object bigger. You're bringing something that was previously out of focus and out of reach for your naked eye and helping you see it within its context so that you understand its trueness better. And, and I believe that this is linked to not falsely making something bigger than what it really is. You know, we don't say great things about God and boast about Him because He doesn't deserve it. We're, but we're, we know that's what we're supposed to do, and so we're going to do it. No, like God is so much more glorious than what our brains could ever conceptualize. And what we're trying to do is see him in his context, see him in all of his glory, and try to even understand a, a semblance of that. And so we want to magnify his name to our greatest ability, and even that's not really good enough, but that's what we're going to do. Yeah, and, and that is... Getting off on rabbit trails. To the greatest of our capabilities is nothing more or less than exactly what God expects of us. And this idea of magnify, as I work through the definitions on it and, and kind of study this word out, to me it really matches well with the, the New Testament word of glorify. And that is to show 
the glory of, when you look up the, the definition for the Greek word glorify or translated glorify a lot, it, it literally means to have weight. And the Hebrew word here is to be large or to make large. And, and you're not making God large. You are merely explaining that God is large. Like, and I love the analogy of a planet because we just, we can't fathom um, even like trying to explain the solar system and, and the, the greatness of it in spance, expanse. And as we glorify God, as we magnify God and put Him in His proper place, there is a, a sense of propriety here where it's, it's what is good and right and proper to do because He's so far above us. He is so much greater than us. And beyond that, He allows us to make, to sing forth His praise, to seek Him and deliver us from our fears to look on him and be radiant and not be ashamed. And that just is, it's, it's so much, like you said, we're, I fell for words. The creator of the universe who is worthy of our praise, if for nothing other than that, has done so much more than that. And David is speaking about the God actively taking care of, the, of the poor man and, and those who fear him. And there, there, there's just so much here that God deserves to be in that place. And he shows how much more deserving he is beyond just being the creator of the universe and that the goodness that he pours out, it just it exudes out of him in his identity and who he is. You know, it's interesting that you parallel that word to glorify because in the song that's based on the psalm, the refrain is actually magnify the Lord with me, come exalt his name together, which should sound very familiar because that's what the psalm says. Then it says glorify the Lord with me, come exalt his name forever. And so the the author of, of that song actually, you know, connects those two very well. And I, I think that you're you're on to something there. So the next one that is in verse 2, the term boast. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And to boast means to take pride in something, to brag about it. You know, I think most of us are probably familiar with what boasting is, but we normally think of it in the context of the negative someone who is boasting about themselves. And that's usually not an admirable trait. That's not somebody that we enjoy being around whenever they just talk about themselves and boast about themselves. You know, it's a bit more socially acceptable whenever you are boasting about someone or something else. You know, a lot of people will boast about their sports teams um, because there's a connection that they have with those sports teams. And so they may talk about how great the, the Oklahoma State Cowboys are and how terrible the Oklahoma Sooners are. And I think I probably just lost most of our listeners, but you know, that's what we boast in. But what David is doing is he's taking pride in God. He's boasting in God. And this is actually the humblest and most fitting thing that we can do because if pride is preoccupation of self, and humility looks away from self, then boasting in God would mean that you're no longer focusing on yourself, but you're focusing on 
the greatness and goodness of God. And this allows your faith to blossom into the fullness of praise. So the word literally means to be clear. And in speech especially, when we're being clear about something, it's and, and there's another definition down here within this group, a way the word is used is to rave. And if I'm raving on about something, then I'm being clear. Uh, to, to make it shiny, to, to show or make a show of. And there's so many things, in, especially in connection to the things we've already talked about, with the songs about David and, and the glory, the, the fame he could have had in the flesh and, and did have to some degree because he was a man through whom God worked and people noticed that. But he is not deflecting as much as trying to get the lens aligned right so people see that he is reflecting. And that what is being done through him is because of, of God and who God is. And so as he's saying, as you're bragging about me, it's, it's all about God. And my boast is because of who God is and because of what God has done. And things that have been accomplished are because of the Lord. And... We see here, and, and again, it's it's a microcosm of what David's psalms especially do, and a lot of the psalms, of just being so filled up with the glory of God, magnifying God fills their heart that they're raving about it. And I don't know how many of you are writers, but if you've ever had an idea or had a thought that is just occupying your mind constantly, it, it really helps to get that out on paper or put it in a Word document, whatever. But you put it out in front of you, you get it written down, you get it out, and, and that's what we see David do, even to his own disparaging. And But he, he has to do it because the glory of God fills him up so much. And knowing God and knowing that he can turn to God, knowing that God gives refuge to those who seek him and that those who seek him don't have to be afraid, it it just pours out of him. And so his boast, his speech, what he raves about is this glory of God. The He says it here that even even the humble man should hear this and be glad. Yeah, and that's where you know we we think about this idea of like as a Christian boasting in the cross of Christ. Um, I believe that that's connected to this, and you know I mentioned the sports team things earlier. Some of what you just said reminded me of the discussion we had previous to starting the recording, and and you talked about the reason people boast in their sports team is because that's part of who they are. That's what their identity is wrapped up in. You know, with Oklahoma State, we've been Oklahoma State fans our entire lives. I mean, our dad, our uncle, you know, they went to school there. Our mom worked there. Um, you know, Hannah and I went there and, you know, started dating whenever we were at Oklahoma State. Like, there's just a lot of connections to Oklahoma State. And so, you know, we we identify as as a part of that team. And so we may boast in that sometimes. Um, 
But the point here is, is that we should be such a part of Christ and of God that we're taking on his characteristics of humility and meekness and graciousness. And rather than proclaiming how great we are because we're humble, which seems like an oxymoron, um, or proclaiming how great we are because we've been able to seek peace with people and forgive other people, the the intent here is we boast in God and we say we were able to find the strength to forgive somebody because we found our strength in God and so we're going to boast in Him. We found the strength to control ourselves and be meek in God and so we're going to boast in God. And it's that reflection, like what you mentioned, Jared, that we, we have to have our identity wrapped in Christ to truly be able to boast in God. And we, we, we just see that so much in David's Psalms. With, it, it, like I said, it just it flowed out of him. It, it oozed out of him. And, and not that he was perfect. Right. We see a man who was very flawed, who was very human, but to like like I said, and, and to me it's just there's something there of being willing to put this out to his own detriment, to his own embarrassment or acknowledge his embarrassment to the glory of who God is and show that he was weak, at times he was faithless, and God held him up because his identity existed in God. You know, we talked about Oklahoma State. I'm sitting here wearing an OSU shirt and have an OSU cap in front of me. I can tell you, and, and it's easy for me to get wrapped up in sports because I really enjoy that, the struggle and, and the work. And, and there was a time I made my identity in, in myself playing football for a time and then transferred that as I quit doing that into OSU football and their wins or losses would, would determine how my Saturdays were going to go. And I still enjoy watching, love to watch college football still, but it doesn't affect me as much when they lose now. Um, and it doesn't carry me as high when they win because that's something that I enjoy. It's not who I am. And as we see with David, as we see with Jesus, there was a lot he went through in his life that we would not look at and go, yeah, that's really great. But he was willing and happy to endure those things because of what it meant for showing other people who God was, because it opened the door for allowing people to taste and see who God was. And that was David's drive. That was his goal. His goal wasn't to be the greatest king of all time ever. It was to be the king who God wanted him to be. And those two should be the same thing, but they're different depending on if you make one your goal. Yeah, and that's, you know, as we keep dancing around Psalm 34 and 8, I think that what we're talking about here is really captured in verses 8 through 10. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Yeah, I think we often separate that. We 
whenever we hear this phrase, we don't think of, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good whenever you take refuge in Him. We just think, taste and see that the Lord is good. But there's a connection there that you're going to be blessed whenever you take refuge in Him. And in verse 39, it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And you know what is interesting about this, and it connects to what you're saying very well, is that a young lion is an apex predator. They're at the top of their physical performance. They're as highly skilled a hunter as anything in their ecosystem. And they are the ones that are going to be least likely of all animals to return empty-handed from a hunt. But they still come back empty-handed from a hunt sometimes. Because that's just the way that it works. That's why it's called you go out and hunt instead of you go out and kill all the time. But this verse points to the idea that no other creation has this type of blessing. They are involved in this natural cycle, this natural process that even the young lion, that prime predator, is going to come back empty-handed. But he says that those who fear him, those who have their identity in him, those who have a strong faith in him, are going to have no lack. And that's kind of the theme of the psalm that because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. It's this call to whenever we do that, that we are going to find the strength in God. We're going to find our identity in God. And as Christians, we don't need to depend on our own power and our own abilities because our own abilities are weak. That's whenever we try to take care of things ourselves, we scribble on the city walls and we act like a crazy man and put spittle in our beard And we deceive people. But whenever we truly revere God and have a reverence to Him that leads to obedience and we put things in His hand, He's going to protect us. He is going to listen to us and we will have no lack. And it will show His strength and that because we have our identity in Him, we will have strength as well. And we lack nothing. We lack nothing. And there's there's so much, you know, this is not prosperity doctrine. This is not... Oh. It is, it is speaking to the greatest reality that, you know, David probably in his right mind clearly thinking, because what we see with David is he, he kind of gets wrapped up in, I need to preserve my life. That's, right. that's where he's at. Not thinking about that he has been anointed by God to sit on the throne of Israel. And that because God has spoken, it is what's going to come to pass. And so he, he gets distracted. His, his focus gets changed to preservation of life. Not that he was seeking his own magnification. He was trying to get people to quit doing that. He just went about it in a really weird way. Yeah. But it was because he was he was afraid. And he did not want this king to get mad and give him up to Saul or to kill him. He feared the man that could harm his body rather than putting his complete fear, reverence fear, um, in the God Almighty. Right. And there's there's so many promises from God about... Well, that we see here just in this passage. Again, just since I've already talked about it, I'll hit the last one again. 
The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And there was a lot of David's life where he lived with what we would consider an abandon, maybe a reckless abandon, to do the will of God. And we see that in the very first time he comes on a very public stage and the statement, God delivered the bear to me, God delivered the lion to me, God will deliver this Philistine also. And it, in the judgment of everybody around him, it was reckless. And now God has delivered him time and again from King Saul, and he, he just he gets distracted, he gets his focus off. And I think that's why he's encouraging. There's a beautiful benefit in this that's, that's kind of woven into this. If we're magnifying God together, if we're exalting him together, I've got someone that is constantly reminding me about the God we serve. And we're doing what is good and proper together. So there's an encouragement. There is a reminder. There's an accountability all built into this process of singing God's praise, extolling the praise of our Creator and our Redeemer when we all do it together and understanding that He fills so there is no lack. And that's where, you know, what you're speaking to whenever we're in the moment, it's really hard not to allow our fleshly biological processes to take place. That fight or flight mechanism or act crazy type mechanism in, in this case, um, which is a part of the fight or flight mechanism. Right. But you've got somebody there say, hey, remember. Remember whenever you were a little boy and you faced a giant without any armor with a slingshot? And you said, is there not a cause? And you went into battle for God. And he preserved you and helped you be victorious. Remember all those times that you did that. You know, there, there's a piece of this when you're not the one in the heat that you can have better perspective and the spirit can really shine through there. And so I think that that's wise. But I think the key here is just recognizing our weakness. And part of our weakness is that moment yep. and what our flesh wants to do. And so truly depending on God for our refuge and our source of blessedness because come and taste and see that the Lord is good if you seek Him for refuge. But the person in this psalm is described as poor, oppressed, broken-hearted, crushed in spirit, and in need of being saved from all their troubles. And he's saying, rely on that. Own that and know that God is there to help you and save you and preserve you. But the, the reality of it is, is that you don't really believe this psalm unless you turn to God for refuge when you're faced with those fears and troubles. Because it's difficult to taste the sweetness of the Lord unless you've tasted the bitterness of this fallen world and recognizing that you've been a contributor to that bitterness. But if you see your need for the Lord and you take refuge in Him, then you can taste His goodness. And that's what David's trying to get us to do is come taste that goodness and experience it for yourself. And we see him continuing that invitation in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Yeah. So he provides that invitation again. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, and I will teach you what it means to fear the Lord. And there's two parts to this. Number one is that 
in that moment mentality that you're talking about. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Okay, what man isn't there that would desire these things? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from seeking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off the memory of them from the earth. And I skipped a verse there, but it's because it's on the other side of this coin. And those ideas, when are you tempted to lie? Now, we can get to where we're such a liar, we lie when it doesn't matter. But if we're trying to do good and we're tempted to lie, it's because it, there's a consequence. Good or bad that we're seeking and lying gets us closer to that. Deceit and flattery gets us closer to goals that we want. Turn away from evil and do good. Obviously, there are times in our lives when it seems the quicker, easier path to do what's wrong. To, to step out of line, to cheat or to steal. But he's, And then he goes on, seek peace and pursue it. And for where he is in his life, and where he was in this life when when he's reflecting on these things, that's a big deal. Because even if he was seeking peace, and I think we can say that he would have been, what was seeking him was turmoil and death and destruction. It was actively pursuing him. And he said, don't focus there. Seek peace and pursue it. And I love passages that because you could just say seek peace, and, and that means to go after it. But then he strengthens that by saying pursue it. The chase after. Mm-hmm. And so we have, and as we do this, it's going to be our first full episode that comes out in the new year. Neither Jeffrey nor I are big New Year's resolutions type guys. There's some things that are naturally can be occurring at the first of the year, the start of a new year, when you've had holiday time off. But as far as just flat resolving something. That's something we generally try to be more active in throughout the year. When we find a problem, I'm not going to put it off. I'm trying to t take reflection on my own life as I, you know, live week to week, month to month, take account of where I'm at. But our society generally makes New Year's resolutions. And what we want to kind of do is take some time to give, do some post-year reflections. And there's some, some give and take here. I didn't hit on the things that David gave as the positive. So, in seeking God, and I will teach you to fear the Lord, we have the negative. In verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so we have this juxtaposition, this give and take, because the things that David talks about cannot coexist. You cannot speak lies and have God's eyes turned toward you and his ears hear your cry. You can't cry out for God for help when you want a righteous judge to judge in your behalf when you're the evildoer. And that's what we see God 
that's what we see David seek in God a lot, is the righteous judge. And acknowledge that righteous judge. We've mentioned Psalm 51, where David acknowledges the righteous judgment of God and the oppression that he felt literally in his body because of the evil that he had done. But as we take account, there's some give and take in our lives as we go throughout the year. Um, and I may be jumping ahead. Did you want to hit on some of these passages before we... No, I, I think the only thing that I would add before we, we start wrapping into much more of the practical aspect here is is that with this, I guess, juxtaposition that you've mentioned, the way that David puts this dichotomous structure of the evildoer, which is the one who doesn't fear the Lord, and then the righteous person, who is the person who does fear the Lord, and remember that, that word fear is a reverence that drives to obedience he says that it's that person that whenever they cry out for help the lord hears and delivers them from all of their troubles and he says in verse 11 i want to teach you how to fear the lord like come and listen to me and you know that is connected to that that verse 8 where it's taste and see that the lord is good you know there's a cycle that is proposed in this that as you start to dig into the truth of God, as you start to understand His truths and revere those truths and implement them into your lives, you start to taste the sweetness of God. And because He, he really focuses in on peace here, I'm going to dig into that for just a second. You know, we, we live in a fallen world, which means that there's a lack of peace. There's conflict with family members with co-workers there's grief from lost loved ones we lack in this world because of those things but because god is a god of peace that's part of who he is he has reached out and sent jesus to have a relationship he has sought that peace pursued that peace with us and whenever we recognize the cost that was paid and we revere him in a way that we are obedient to obey the gospel and we put on Christ, then we're reconciled to him and we taste that sweetness on one level. But then, as a part of this cycle, we start to understand that because God is a God of peace, and this is Ezekiel or Ephesians 2, because God is a God of peace and sought peace, we as his people are expected to pursue peace. And so we then start to evaluate our life and the peace of God flows through us and changes the way that we interact with others. And so we start pursuing peace with those coworkers, with those family members that we've not had peace with. And whenever God's way works and there becomes peace in those relationships, that's another mechanism that we taste God's goodness. And it reinforces this thought process of God's truth works. And whenever we revere that truth and we do that truth and it works, we get to keep tasting that goodness over and over and over. And it just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. The more that we peel back those layers and the longer that we're in this continuous cycle, we continue to see and experience the Lord's goodness. And that's the type of stuff that we are encouraging you to take part in. Because that's 
where if you have this mindset that I'm going to magnify God and you start to revere him and what he has told us to do, then you're going to do it and you're going to experience the goodness of God in that way. And you'll continue to, and it'll continue to change your life day by day by day. And you'll experience the goodness day by day by day. And that's really what we're pushing for here, right, Jared? Yeah. And, you know, David hits on this idea of tasting. And we've talked about food. We are finite creatures. And we can be filled up with things that that are to the exclusion of other things. There's only 24 hours in the day. You're only spending so much of that time awake, so forth. I mean, you just... We are finite, and there's only so many things that you can take in. And David could have taken in all the praise. David, he, he did take in the fear and the, the worry for his position in his life, and, and he was filled with that instead of being filled with the, the knowledge of God's goodness and his mercy. And, and his encouragement to people is to be filled with who God is and with the fact that if you're following him, if you're filled with his goodness, filled with the fear of the Lord, then these promises and these these blessings that flow from the faithfulness of God are what you will experience. And so as we consider some post-year reflections, I can see some areas in my life and some things in my life over the last five years that have become less important. We've talked about one, um, Oklahoma State football. I, I'll just flat say there have been times in my life when I've just been eat up with it. I tell you, all the guys on the roster, and it's in, in before the season gets started. You know, once I've watched a game or two, I kind of know who's in and out. But tell you their high school stats and, and just get really wrapped up in making that my identity which is funny because you think we'd pick a team who played for national championships, but I can still get wrapped up there. Instead of that, I have let some of that go to make my identity more and to, to in, take in more of the word and knowledge of God, to take in more of service to God's people, trying to find opportunities to serve my neighbors and seek service opportunities. And that's what David pushes these ideas, is we can remove the fear of man and the fear of persecution, the fear of loss of life, the fear of loss of friends from our life. We remove all of that fear because it's filled up with this fear or this understanding, this reverence of our Creator, who He is, how He created us, and what our purpose is. Then we can seek peace then we can seek the Lord and understand that He's near to us. We can pour out our broken hearts and, and allow ourselves to be crushed in spirit, knowing that that healing, the mending, comes from Him. We, we hit this give and take, and you know when I was eating McDonald's all the time, I didn't have room to eat good food. And now, as I try to eat better food, it's easier for me not to eat the bad food. It's easier for me to turn that away. Now, we, we had Christmas today with Jeffrey and I were together, and I did eat some Reese's peanut butter cups, but 
after a couple of those, I went back and found some good food because it's it's better and I enjoy it and it is good. And not only that, when I'm done with it, it's not going to make me feel bad. And that's where I, I can identify with David on a very physical sense today. Um, where we're here together, as Jared mentioned, we've we've had we've had a lot of food today, and you know, Jared made some of his brisket, and it was really good. Um, and I ate several pieces, but I also ate you know a couple pieces of pie, several Christmas cookies, all of which tasted really good, but. I'm at the point right now, I do not want any more sweet things. Like, it would taste bitter to me right now. And looking back, I wish I would have eaten less pie and Christmas cookies and more brisket because, number one, the brisket's gone. Um, but number two, like, I tried to balance those together and I couldn't eat as much of either thing that I really right. wanted. Um, let's face it, the pie and Christmas cookies just aren't good for me. Like I'm going to pay the price later. I wish I would have eaten more brisket because that's good for me. And now my opportunity has gone, but I couldn't do both and be completely fulfilled. And I say that to say exactly what Jared has been communicating. And that is, you know, we live in this world and we try to double dip. We try to eat things of the world. We try to, to eat things of the spirit. And there's just not enough room for both. And we try to make it. But David tried to do that. He yep. prayed to God for deliverance. And yet he still acted crazy. And he regretted it. And we can live our lives with no regrets. And try to double dip. But you'll end up regretting it. And so the point here is if we start to change our mindset and really focus on magnifying God, glorifying God, and allow our actions and our decision-making process to flow through that on a daily basis, that when we're in the heat, when we're in the moment, we can choose to revere God instead of fear man. And so as we look at post-year reflections New Year's resolutions, if you want to call it that, what we're really driving at is developing this mindset of David, uh, of taking David's encouragement here, his, his pleading. What we see here is true exhortation. David is pleading with people to not make the mistake that he made and to, to find out who God is and to be filled, if it's possible to be filled, with the goodness of who God is to the point where it just, it is pouring out of you and understand that in the hard times, in the tough times, it's really interesting as you look at that word humble early in, in verse two, uh, the end of verse two there, it could be depressed when you're just flat beat down. Now, one of the things that we've kind of talked about and hit on is there are a lot of areas and ways where we're not beat down, we're just not focused. And what we're encouraging here is this focus, this laser-sharp focus that David is recommending to turn to the Lord, turn away from these things, to build a focus in a life that is driven towards being one of God's and developing this mentality. So as, as you consider your life being filled with knowing who God is, with knowing and tasting of His goodness, because God invites us to do that. 
he he invites us to come taste who he is and and be filled with all of who he is and his goodness and his mercy and then not only that be filled to the point where we are passing all of that to other people we're not hoarding it to ourselves we're we're i mean it's it's something we're trying to give out every day and so as we consider these things you know there, there's got to be some give and take and, and what i've tried to give is my need to have more downtime than i really need we have to have downtime it's easy for me when we're especially you know now we've just been, got done ginning to say man i need a break i just need to to chill and not that that doesn't need to happen a little bit but the focus is in and you know i'll, I'll just tell you i'm not very giving on saturdays between a certain few hours because i want to watch a football game and i don't want to watch all the football games i get kind of bored watching other teams but I'm, i want to watch this one game and to be willing to give some of that up and give in that time and not just give the time to give the time, but to give the time to focus somewhere else and not eat the pie, but go find the brisket. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed this episode. I think it's going to set us up really well, you know, framing our mind to change our actions. Um, it's going to really going to work well as we go into some of the practical aspects of utilizing some more of these Psalms. And I think you'll get to see some of what we've talked about even in this episode of what is made clear by the psalmist. Um, we want to invite you, taste and see. Come experience the goodness of God and, and make the commitment, make the resolve to spend more time dedicated to learning who God is. And you can do that with us together on this podcast. You can get friends involved with this by sharing this podcast, discussing it with them, you know, letting them know all the things that we're wrong about and, you know, that where we need to grow in God. But this can be a journey that we go on together, that you can go on with your friends together. And we want to invite you to take part in that journey together. We again want to say thank you for joining and spending the time with us. We're really looking forward to the next several weeks. And as we normally do, we'd like to end with a prayer. And Jared, would you lead us in that prayer? Gracious Father, we thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, to showing us who you are, for allowing us the opportunity to be redeemed and reconciled back to you by pouring your goodness and your mercy out on all of us when we don't deserve it, when we haven't earned it, and not only haven't earned it, but when we have earned the opposite when we have earned your, your justice and your judgment and your wrath. Father, we thank you for your Son and his willingness to come and allow us the opportunity to be remade in him, to give us the example of what it means to be the best of humans, to have a life that is centered and focused on you. And Father, we thank you for the scriptures that you've given us, that we can look at people in their real lives and how even through the fact that they were very human, and failed and, and fell down, that you helped them back up and you carried them through their weakness. Father, we pray that you would help us to have that same focus, that we would reach out to you when we're failing, that we would cling to you when we're standing and standing in you and with you. Father, we pray that you would uphold us with your right hand. Father, we 
ask that you forgive us of our sins when we're faithless to you and help us to forgive those to whom we owe forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you next time. Amen.